Welcome to the first in a new series. Uh, as you've heard, it's uh, titled Defeating the Dark Side. And um, we're going to go through a, a whole variety of uh, topics here, some of them fairly challenging ones. Um, as mentioned, we're going to be doing the Armour of God next week. We're going to look at Satan, hell, deliverance from demons, blessing, prosperity, breaking curses. And this week, our topic is forbidden fruit. Forbidden fruit. And uh, here today, we're going to be digging into Genesis chapter 3. But uh, let me just mention again, too, that um, if you want to turn up for the Bible study, there is a sign-up sheet there. And uh, I know we have quite a, quite a good crowd coming already, but there's certainly room for some more. Uh, so we'd love you to come along on Tuesday night, 7.30, uh, and starting in just two days' time here at the cafe, 7.30 p.m. Let's look at the book of Genesis. Genesis 3.1. It says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Let me read it again. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now, the translators um, do their best here with that word serpent. Um, but, uh, to be honest, it's a very difficult word to translate. The original ancient Hebrew word is nashash. Nashash. Um, the prime root of that word meant to hiss, and that's why we think, well, serpent, snakes hiss, you know, that sort of thing. But it could also mean to whisper a magic spell. It could mean to prognosticate. Henry, Henry Morris, who writes an extensive Bible commentary on the book of Genesis, one of the best, he also adds this. Nashash, some maintain, originally meant shining, upright creature. Shining upright creature, glistening upright creature. So immediately uh, our imagery of Eve and an apple tree and a snake in it, obviously it's very different today. Um, there's every indication, for instance, the creature had legs. In fact, that's uh, what we see in the curse. They were removed, Genesis 3.13. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Seems likely God removed its legs at that point. Um, it, there's another phrase in there. The serpent was more crafty. The nashash was more crafty. But that could also be translated, the serpent was more intelligent than all the animals the Lord God had made. So also, it's beautiful, probably, shining, glistening, upright creature. It's intelligent. And so actually, we're seeing some things here that, well, it might, you know, instead of thinking how stupid of Eve being tempted by a snake, well, actually, no. The Nashash was probably a beautiful creature and an intelligent creature. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. Did Satan possess it? Well, we're not completely told. But um, what I would suggest is certainly whether Satan possessed it, it is Satan, or Satan co cooperated with this creature, however it worked, what I would suggest is actually the creature was the least likely critter that Eve would have suspected to tempt her. The least likely. In fact, uh, this reminds me of a verse in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. We know this one. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That's a principle the evil one uses. He doesn't make it easy for people to recognize what he's doing. 
2 Corinthians 11.13, the Apostle Paul speaking, he says this, But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In the book of Revelation, there's a whole bunch of different references to Satan. Look at the mixture of them. Revelation 12.7, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. He was not strong enough, so they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent. The ancient serpent, almost certainly referring to this moment in the Garden of Eden. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels. So actually, to be honest, if any image of the Nashash is perhaps accurate, it's more likely that of a colourful, glistening dragon. I learned this so far from verse 1. Number one, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. I'm going to give you four principles of how Satan operates. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. It's important to know that. You know, at times, um, we may be tempted by situations or people that we least expect. That's the principle. The next portion of Scripture, 3.1 of Genesis. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. That's slightly different to the original command that was given. Just slightly. Just slightly. Let me read the original. Genesis 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are not to eat from you are you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree. In, uh, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. You notice the difference? Made it a bit easier by underlining it. She left out certainly. In the original text, the subtle change that we're getting is something like this. Eve has said in response to the Nashash, we must not eat of it or we'll probably die rather than the original text, the original command, saying, you will certainly die. She's just watered down the Word of God a little bit. Just watered it down a bit. Surely there's no harm in that. Notice the response from the Nashash. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Clearly, the serpent knew what the command was, exactly. And he saw that she had watered it down. He saw that he was having an impact on her. And he pounces on that weakness by saying, oh, you're not going to die. Well, it was going to be many years before Eve would die, but she would die. But the other thing that happened immediately, there was a spiritual death, a separation between Adam and Eve and God because of this. My second point is this. Number two, the tempter will cause you to doubt God's word. The tempter will cause you to doubt God's word. 
you know, um, doubting God's word or watering down God's word might not seem like it's that big a deal. But um, I remember when I was at Bible college, it was uh, one of the lecturers. I, I, I really liked the guy, but I always found him kind of what I would call liberal, um, meaning that he saw the Bible as an extremely important book, the most important book for Christians, but he didn't really understand it as being divinely inspired by God. And if that is the case, of course, the Bible doesn't seem to have the same authority if you don't really believe it's divinely inspired by God. And um, I knew his wife and his little daughter reasonably well. And uh, I noticed he got very friendly with another staff member. Well, he left his wife and little girl for this other staff member, which also broke up her marriage. And um, they took off and pastored a church in a different state. Um, but he left that wife and the little girl devastated, absolutely devastated. I don't think he saw the little girl anymore because he lived a long way away. How did that happen? Well, you see, when you water down the word of God, it doesn't have the same authority over your life. Moving into the next portion, it says in 3, 4 and 5, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Can you see the second thing? The Nashash is trying to do to Eve. He's trying to say, God doesn't have your best interest at heart. The only reason he doesn't, he doesn't want you to eat from this particular tree is because you're going to be like God if you eat from this. You'll know good and evil. He's holding back on you. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. The second thing the Nash Ash is doing is this. Number three, the tempter will cause you to doubt God's character. The tempter will cause you to doubt God's character. That he doesn't have your best interests at heart. We, we know that wonderful little verse, don't we, in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Just three words, God is love. We know the scriptures teach us that God actually really cares about people. But if Satan can get us to doubt that, again, he's got more chance to influence us. And we know we live in a fallen world, so there are things that go badly at times. There is suffering in this world. It's happened because of sin entering the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And so we don't live in a perfect place because of this. And there are times when life is really difficult. You know, I was chatting with, with June this week. Um, and Don and June had a really painful, painful experience recently. Um, their daughter Justine um, developed cancer. And June forwarded me some of the texts and some of the clips from Justine. And Justine is just filled with faith, believing for a healing from the Lord God. She's a committed Christian. And, uh, and not only faith. I mean, I saw her chatting away in one of the clips, and she's filled with joy. She's got the joy of the Lord. She's believing for a healing. But it didn't happen. She died from cancer, leaving a husband and three children behind. A lot of grief, a lot of pain. And 
June shared candidly with me, and she doesn't mind me sharing it with you guys, that she felt disillusioned. She didn't know why God didn't answer that prayer. It just didn't make it. Three, three children left behind, you know? Why didn't God step in and answer that prayer? She felt at times not just the grief of losing Justine, but the anger towards God, why he didn't answer, why he didn't move, why he didn't do something. She was telling me that one of the things that really ministered to her at the time was a, a song reminding her that Justine is now in the arms of Jesus. And that's a wonderful hope that Christians have. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have that hope. And that's one of the wonderful realities, even though we go through things that can be very, very painful. In this case, we know that, of course, Justine is with the Lord. She's with the Lord. Uh, my brother John, as some of you are aware, um, the beginning of this year, his wife, or, uh, or December last year, his wife went for a couple of checkups. She knew she had pain in her hips, and she thought, I might need a hip operation. You know? Had first checkup, didn't really reveal anything. Second checkup, not long after, revealed she had pancreatic cancer. Um, her four young adult children all gripped it in prayer and believing that God would step in and miraculously heal her. My brother John was exactly the same, believing for a healing. Um, as the journey went on, I started calling John every day and we'd spend 15, 20 minutes on the phone, mostly praying, mostly praying, praying in faith for God's miraculous healing. But Gay died. She died very quickly, very quickly. Within, really, it was just a matter of weeks. Um, I'll be honest. John said, I feel really ripped off. We've looked after ourselves. We, you know, we eat healthy. We exercise all the time. John has been a preaching elder in churches since he was a young adult. Always very committed to God's word, as was Gay. And he just felt, look, I just... I just felt God could have looked after us a bit more. John's not an emotional guy. He was in tears on the phone nearly every time I called him. Quite broken about all of this. But he knows, as you do, as I'm teaching today, despite the fact that there are times when we question if we hold true to God's word, it reminds us God is love. He does have our best interests at heart. And there will be purposes that are beyond our understanding in any of these scenarios. Now, I know that, um, I mean, I've been through seasons too where there might, have been, might be a ministry-driven thing, where there's a whole string of related prayers where we're, myself and there might be two or three others, we're really praying into something major connected with the church. And all 20-odd of those big themes of prayer, none of them get answered. They're all about God's kingdom. None of them get answered. You think, God, what are you doing? What is this all about? But we come back to the scriptures and we know God is love. I want to suggest that um, there are principles that the evil one has been using since the dawn of time. I think 
in my opinion, the most ancient book of the Bible, complete book of the Bible, is the book of Job. Uh, my belief is it was probably this uh, oral tradition, this account, probably came around about the Tower of Babel time. So before the time of Abraham. So it's a very ancient document. And what's it all about? It's all about this big question of suffering. If the creator God is loving, why is he allowing the suffering? You ever heard anyone say this who's unchurched? If God really loved the people of this world, why is there so much suffering? Well, can I suggest that argument isn't one that a human made up at all? That's one that is an ancient argument from Satan. Let me read this, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Paul says this, this is something all of us have to do. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul suffered at times terribly. Why did he know this, this scripture to be so powerful and true? Because he lived it. And God revealed this as a revelation to Paul to share with you and I today. Let me read it again. We demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We have to work at this. Let me move on to Genesis 3.6. Then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And this is one of the challenges about falling into disobedience to God, falling into sin. So often it can influence other people as well. Look at the book of James here, and it highlights an important principle that we see in Genesis 3.6. James 1.13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Think about for a moment, Eve, where is she? All this probably massive garden of fruit trees. Everything, what we might say today, under the sun you can imagine. You can eat anything you want just this one tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil do not eat it where's eve she's right next to the tree what's it tell me it tells me the desire was there in her heart and friends can i suggest this as the fourth principle the tempter will appeal to your own sinful desire the tempter will appeal to your own sinful desire. Whew. I shared a message similar to this um, when I was at um, Nary Warren Baptist um, in their 6pm service, which was mostly young adults. So I must admit it was a, an extremely morally upright church. Most of the young adults I did conducted weddings for married as virgins. But they were not all upright. And I remember sharing... In, in this message, a similar message, um, I said, uh, you're saying you want to remain sexually pure, but you're, you're planning to start really late talking in your car without any chance of interruption. I said, just think about principles you're putting in your life. Think about boundaries you're putting in your life. You know, um, 
Eve was in the vicinity of the tree. She needed to keep away from the tree. You know, I was listening to um, a preacher just this week and he said, you know, it's remarkably common for Christians in the USA to cheat, particularly wealthy Christians, to cheat on their tax returns. Um, I might say, oh, the government can afford it. But actually, it's illegal. It's illegal. There's no integrity in that. Um, Let's be a people who endeavour to not allow desires that you might know are within you. I might know are within me. Let's make sure we do things to make it less likely we act on those desires. Let me give you a powerful scripture. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to people. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Now, as you remember the series I conducted uh, first term this year, Growing in Christ, there was an encouraged memory verse each week in that series. The week where I talked about victory, this was the memory verse. And um, I want to suggest there's power in memorizing Scripture. You know, my uh, first pastor, um, he ingrained this into me as a new believer and um, uh, I started memorizing scriptures. In fact, they had a very similar study to uh, that Growing in Christ one. That was the me- and this was the memory verse for that one as well. Um, there is power in memorizing scripture. And I know some of you have gone through that study booklet together, but found it hard to memorize the verses. <laughs> and so I, was, I took my son, Zach, through it. And um, I was just with him in the car recently, picking him up from a youth event. And... Um, I asked him to reel off those five verses. Yeah, he still still knows them. Very sharp. Um, as And a whole bunch of other verses too. Uh, he's got the Roman road down now too in his memory. But uh, let's unpack this scripture and see why it's important to memorise it. Look at these three principles I share with you. Now, look at the first bit. 1 Corinthians 10, 13a. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to people. Now, how does that help us? Well, lots of people can think the temptation they face is unique. Oh, no one faces what I face. No one. But, of course, that's not actually true. The general temptations that people face are common. There's lots of other people that face them too. And lots of other people don't fall to those temptations. But it also reminds us there's lots of people that understand what you're going through. Because they face those temptations too. Second portion of the scripture says this. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. You see, that that reminds me of um, people that might say, oh man, if you were there, you'd have fallen too. The temptation was just too great. Well, actually, God promises he won't even allow that to happen, that he won't allow you to be in a situation where the temptation is too great. Um, I can still remember, it was kind of a, very sad story, really. Uh, so a couple of members of my church in Sydney where um, uh, one guy was a, a new convert and he'd gone out with this other bloke from the church who certainly wasn't a new convert and they'd gone to this club or something rather and the new convert guy, he ends up going off with a prostitute and the other guy does as well. The guy had been a Christian for years. And the other guy, he's, he's married, lovely wife, um, 
newly married. I don't think they had kids yet, or if they do, it's just a little baby, a newborn baby. And he and this guy says to me, I was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And I tried to be supportive and gracious as I chatted to him, but I actually thought, no, you weren't, mate. You weren't led like a lamb to the slaughter at all. That temptation wasn't too great. You know, think of your wife, mate. But that's the problem if we don't dig into the truth of this scripture, because this reminds us that, you know, friends, um, God's not going to tempt you beyond what you can bear. You can always stand. You can always overcome. One more portion. 13C, the third bit. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. He'll also provide a way out or a way of escape. Look for the way of escape. That's the principle. Look for the way of escape. Uh, um, Brother Tom has given us a lot of messages about the life of Joseph over the last year or so. And um, you remember the, the moment where Joseph is faced with the seductress, the temptress, Potiphar's wife. Potiphar was a very wealthy, powerful man in Egypt. His wife was probably gorgeous. One of the great beauties of the land. So she would have been a real temptation. He's a young, single man. You know, and yet he continually resists. And even when she grabs him by the coat and won't let him go, you know, he rips the coat off and flees. Look for the way of escape. Look for the way of escape. God will always provide it. Let me dig into a verse here that's often used in spiritual warfare. 1 Peter 5.8, it says this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, um, the Middle East used to have lions. And that is, this is a pattern of lions still to this day. If you're in Africa, they will sometimes come out around dusk. And you can hear them roaring. They're prowling around. They are looking for food. They are looking for someone to devour. And they'll certainly take a human if they can get one. Um, there's the imagery. Satan is looking for people to devour. But it starts by saying this. Be alert. Be alert. Be alert. Now, you've heard that before and you probably thought, well, yeah, sure, I can try and be spiritually alert. But what, are, what does that mean? Well, I've given you four principles today to help you be alert. Let's look at them again. Four things to help us be alert. Number one, the tempter masquerades as an angel of light. Two, the tempter will cause you to doubt God's word. Three, the tempter will cause you to doubt God's character. Four, the tempter will appeal to your own sinful desire. Having those principles in our minds helps us remain alert. How do we resist temptation? Well, applying 1 Corinthians that we just read about, let's, let's be reminded of those three things, those three points. Others understand. You can overcome. Look for the way of escape. Have that in your mind. That will help you stay alert. Let me read two more verses to finish with these. 1 Peter 5, 9, it says this. Resist him, standing firm in faith. And James 4, 7 through 8. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Satan can be overcome. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee. You resist him, he will flee because you know the Lord Jesus. And Jesus has absolute authority 
Because you're his servant, Satan will flee. Resist him. But first submit yourself to God. Three principles here, friends, from those couple of verses. How do we resist temptation? A, have faith in God. B, submit to God. And C, be close to God. You know, I reckon it'd be a good time to get uh, that prayer warrior, Sue, to come and pray for us all. What do you think? Challenging message? Good, good moment where I think we need, all need some prayer. Hey, Thank you, Sue. Come and pray for us. Oh, Father, we just thank you for your word. And we receive your word with gladness in our heart because you love us and you send it to protect us and guide us and lead us in the way, the truth and the life. We also thank you for the man of God that you have put in this place. And we thank you, Father, and honour him because you honour him. And we receive the words that you have given him to speak today as your words. And Lord, we thank you that we can ponder these words, not just today, but all through the week. And Holy Spirit, we know these words are Jesus' words. And we ask you to remind us this week of everything that Jesus has said today through Pastor Lee. So that we may grow, so that we may be wise in the word so that we can submit to God, his word, and then be equipped to resist the devil and be confident that he will flee because our Father God's word says so. So I thank you, Father, for these precious people and I thank you that you seal this word to their hearts, that it will not be lost, that the word is good seed, and it will flourish because hearts are open and hearts are watered and hearts are ploughed by your hand and in your love. In Jesus' name, amen.